with you guys, gals? They're like, oh, great. Another one of those really corny jokes. Well, I got a really corny one for you this morning. It's about George W. Bush. It's already off to a good start, isn't it? He went to a, he went to a, a party one night that somebody was throwing in Dallas, and uh, he had his secret service all around him. When he went in this party, he noticed somebody on the other side of the room, and he was looking at him real intently. He's like, that, that person kind of reminds me of Moses. You know, Moses from the Bible. He looks like Moses. And he got up a little bit closer in the Secret Service, you know, just kind of followed around him. And he was looking at him like, thinking to himself, that, that's Moses. Gets a little bit closer looking at him and squinting. He says, yeah, that's, that's definitely Moses. And he was trying to get his attention, and Moses wasn't paying a bit of attention to him. In fact, he turned his back and he looked at the wall. He did not want to look George W. in the eye. And he's like, what? what in the world is going on? And the Secret Service kind of got, you know, kind of a hint of this. And they're like, well, you know, do you want us to go investigate this? Does he need to go away? Are you afraid of him? Are you in fear of your life? So now he said, he said, no, I just think that's Moses and he won't pay me a bit of attention. So he went up and he tapped him on the shoulder and he said, hey, buddy, aren't you Moses? Moses turned around and said, yes, I am. He said, then why are you, why are you not paying a bit of attention to me? Do you not, do you not see me? Do you not care? He said, well, let me tell you, the last time I talked to a bush, it caught on fire and weird things started happening. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Another one I heard this morning, it's kind of on an equal playing field, uh, got told on my way in, I really just loved it. There were, uh, the animals were all lined up getting on the ark, or coming off of the ark after, you know, the, the rain had stopped and everything, uh, you know, had subsided and whatnot, and, and two elephants are coming off the ark, you know, side by side as they went in, and, and uh, one of them looked at the other one and said, you know, that was, that was pretty neat, but that was the first cruise I've ever been on that it rained the whole time. <laughs> I just thought that was pretty good. Well, it's good to be back with you all. You know, I, uh, I uh, enjoyed uh, having just a, you know, a small uh, a break um, away uh, for those few days while I went to, uh, as most of you know, to Kentucky, uh, to the Ark, uh, where they were having a series of gospel concerts three days in a row and preaching, and it just, you know, it just, it just does good for my soul. That's my kind of vacation. That's where I, that's where I would like to be. And, uh, and so, uh, but while I was there, you know, I kept thinking about, I've got to do my sermon, I've got to do my sermon, and I was like, no, I don't have to do it. And it, I thought at first it was like just habit, but really I missed it. And uh, so getting back in, you know, after getting back last Sunday and, and preparing this week's sermon and thinking about it and praying over it, just uh, it reminded me just how blessed it is to bear the word of the Lord and how wonderful it is to receive it, um, even when it's at times uh, a hard task for us to, to receive, you know, because uh, the word at many times, I find it does two things in our life. Uh, it comforts us but at times it also convicts us. But in the conviction, there is still comfort that if we do what God says, that he will bring about good in our life, even when conviction is necessary, like William says, as I think we're going to see in this message, that, that even, even though conviction needs to come in our life in times where, where we, we have maybe not done what we should or been all that we know God has called us to be, that God comes behind us with the grace and mercy that that uh, just blesses our lives and, and he makes good of even wrongs that have happened to us and that we have ha made happen ourselves. 
And so uh, I love the word of the Lord. I pray as I pray this morning every time that it will be a blessing to us. So let's ask God to to fill our time together now, shall we? Uh, Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here and giving us this opportunity to gather again in your name for your sake, Lord. Uh, We come because of you. We come because of, of, of your steadfast love for your people made manifest and, and shown so greatly through Jesus Christ and his sacrificial and redemptive work upon the cross. Lord, he didn't have to come and you didn't have to send him, but you asked him and he came willingly to be here among us, God in the flesh, to show us how to live and Lord, to to give our lives for the times where we fail to live as he showed us. Uh, Father, but also in that, he didn't just give his life up. Lord, he regained that life that he lost so that because he lives, we too shall live also. What a wonderful, wonderful joy, Lord, it is to know this. And Father, I just pray that in all the magnificence that, that, that you are and, and just all the, the glory that surrounds you and, and the love that you have for us, I pray that in this moment we will pour out love for you and not just hearing these words passively but actively as we seek to put them into practice in our life. And we pray that you will help us with that through the power of your Holy Spirit to show us how it is that we can be more in line with your word, that it might be a blessing to us, that it might be a blessing to your heart, but it might also be a blessing to those who have not yet accepted you. Uh, Because, Lord, there are so many people who wander this world aimlessly, and you see them and you grieve over them, Uh, Father, that that have not accepted you and your Son who reject you. And, And, Lord, I just pray that through our witness, as you encourage us, that we will do our part to help keep that from happening as much as possible that uh, we will be encouraged to share what it is that blesses our hearts and lives. I pray that you will just, um, Lord, just speak to us all uniquely as only you can. But Lord, also speak collectively to us that there might be unity in the midst of this word. We pray these things and ask for your spirit to flow among this room the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be yours and pleasing to you, Lord, and good and edifying for your church. We give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would open to me, uh, to me, with me, excuse me, if you would open with me uh, for the last time for a little while uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, we shall begin reading in verse 11 and uh, read to the end of the chapter. Uh, If you don't uh, have your Bible with you, you can grab a pew Bible. The scriptures are in the bulletin. Uh, They're also on the screen uh, for you as well. Uh, Let's look and uh, read and, and, and hear the word of God together this morning, shall we? This is what it says. Excuse me. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or or as the supreme authority, 
or to the governors who were sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you shall silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found within His mouth. When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on that cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. As I begin to exegete the text this morning, I want to inform you of a a change in the sermon's title. At first, I had titled this morning's sermon, Hope Beyond Freedom, and I think that that's a message in there, but it wasn't the message that as I continued to study and work this week and pray, uh, that God took, uh, took us a different direction. And so instead of Hope Beyond Freedom, uh, after this further study and prayer, I decided to title this morning's sermon, Hope Beyond Unfairness. Hope Beyond Unfairness. Again, both, I think, are prevalent themes, but, but this... This is the one that I feel God is using and speaking to us through this morning, hope beyond unfairness. On March 24th, 1820, John and Mercy Crosby gave birth to a daughter who was christened Frances Jane Crosby after one of her mother's numerous aunts, Fanny Paddock Curtis. By late April, the Crosbys were alarmed. Something was wrong with the baby's eyes. In later years, Fanny spoke of a sickness that made her eyes very weak. More disconcerting, the family was unable to obtain competent medical assistance because the community doctor was away. So finally, they found a man who claimed to be a physician. Whoever he was, he horrified the Crosbys by putting a hot poultice on the baby's inflamed eyes. The doctor insisted that the extreme heat would not hurt the child's eyes and would draw out the infection. When he had finished his treatments, the infection did gradually clear up. But ugly white scars formed on the baby's eyes. As the months went by, 
little Fanny Jane made no response when objects were held before her face. After realizing this doctor had harmed their child, they sought to keep it from happening to another child, his terrible medical practices. The doctor fled, and he was never heard from again. And little Fanny grew up blind by no fault of her own. Sometimes life just isn't fair. You ever heard this before? Have you ever said this yourself? Sometimes life isn't fair, as someone I know so affectionately put it one time uh, when I saw their child get hurt. Life is tough, wear a helmet. We realize the reality that sometimes life just really isn't fair. We, we, we see this. We, we know it. And though we know this reality, we, we, we realize it. This is still a reality that we very rarely accept. At least we do not accept it with the grace that we should. And my name is at the top of the list. We know that bad things happen. We just don't know why they happen to us. We serve God. We have become Christians. But why does it seem like my pain has been intensified? No, I read this passage a few weeks ago in our gathering, but I believe this morning that it bears repeating, not just now, but I really do think that this scripture bears repeating every time our feet hit the floor. John 16, 33, Jesus has said, I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. Because in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have said these things so that you may have peace, because in this world you may have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Did you notice where Jesus said that our peace would come from? Look at that passage again. Do you notice where that peace that Jesus talks about comes from? It doesn't come from the world. It comes from nothing that the world offers. It comes from nothing that people offers. It comes from... <coughs> excuse me, I'm still <coughs> suffering with this sinus infection. This peace comes from no substance that we can put into our bodies no, this peace that Jesus offers comes from Himself. It, it comes from who He is. Jesus told His disciples that I am leaving you with a gift. I am leaving you with a gift. And that gift is peace of mind and heart. And I, the peace that I give you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Easier said than done, isn't it? The peace I give you, the world cannot give you. So don't be troubled or afraid. I love the words of an old song that says, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. This peace that 
that we have in Jesus Christ when accessed brings something to our souls that nothing else in this world can offer. In fact, talking about peace, the New Oxford American Dictionary describes peace in two ways. The first way it describes peace is freedom from disturbance, quiet, and tranquility. Again, the New Oxford American Dictionary describes peace as freedom from disturbance, quiet, and tranquility, the first of their two definitions of peace. There once was a a king who offered a prize to the artist who would paint the best picture of peace. Many artists tried, and the king looked at all the pictures, but there was only two that he really liked, and he had to choose between them. Now, one picture was of a calm lake. The lake was a perfect mirror for peaceful, towering mountains that were all around it. Overhead was a blue sky with fluffy white clouds, and all who saw the picture thought it was a perfect picture of peace. Now, the other picture had mountains too, but these were rugged and they were bare. Above was an angry sky from which rain fell and in which lightning played all around. Down the side of the mountain tumbled a foaming tense waterfall. This did not look peaceful at all. But when the king looked closer and examined the picture more intently, he saw behind the waterfall was a tiny bush growing in the crack of the rock. And in the bush a mother bird had built her nest. There in the midst of the rush of angry water sat the mother bird on her nest in perfect peace. Which picture do you think won the prize? The king chose the second picture, of course. Because, as the king explained, peace does not mean to be in a place where there is no noise, trouble, or hard work. Peace means to be in the midst of all those things and still be calm in your heart. That is the real meaning of peace. In this world where unrest is inevitable, Peace is given to us through Jesus. And He is a place that we can rest in when life becomes too much. And this rest that we can have in Jesus was made possible by the second definition of peace that the new Oxford American Dictionary offers. Uh, Listen, listen to this. Peace, the second definition, is a state or period in which there is no war or a war has ended. Listen again to verse 11 of the passage we have read. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sexual desires which wage war against your 
souls. Whether we realize it or not, there is a war going on for your soul and mine in the heavenly realms. I wish that I had a giant curtain that I could start at one side of the sanctuary and pull it back and show you just exactly what's taking place in the heavenly realms because there is much fighting and intensity going on for your soul and mine. I heard it said yesterday, and again talking about how God brings all things together in a, in a, in a session about spiritual warfare, that Satan is a dirty street fighter. And he would have nothing more than for you and I to fall in order to break the heart of God. You and I are simply a casualty of Satan's war and anger against God. He cares nothing about you. He cares nothing about me. He just wants to see us fall because he knows that it breaks God's heart when someone dies apart from him in their sin. It breaks God's heart. But you see, Jesus came and he fought the war that we needed him to win for us. Because there is no way that any of us, anyone who's ever lived, ever been born, or ever died except for Jesus, there is no way that we could have won the war ourselves without Him. You see, Jesus came and has already given us the victory over this war and over Satan as long as we stay in Him because of His selfless sacrifice on the cross so that this war for our eternal soul might be won. But while we are here on this earth, He asks us to do battle against sin. The war has already been won, church, for your soul and mine, for its eternal security in Christ if we so choose. That war has been won, but we still fight a war against sin. We still fight a battle against it daily while we are here on this earth. And Jesus asks, God asks us, Peter implores us through the power of the Spirit to do that battle against sin and against Satan every day. And not just for our sake, but for the sake of His witness to the world. You see, Peter tells us in verse 12 that we should live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse us of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God the day He visits us. Church, that means that we should have it so that our lives implore people to glorify God until the day He comes back. Until time is brought to an end. Let me remind each of us, church, that we are God's one and only chosen method of sharing the gospel with the world. That we are the mirror by which the world might see Jesus. Now, if we are the mirror, that means we reflect Him. And if our reflections are clouded by sin, worry, and doubt, the world cannot see Him. 
They cannot see His reflection in us. Even in the times when we are loathing in the unfairness of our lives, in what has happened to us, the unfairness of what is currently happening to us, and the unfairness of what people might have unjustly done to us, we must seek to live and work diligently despite these things for the Lord so that even in the midst of our adversity, that the people of the world might see the tranquil peace of God made possible through our first acknowledgement of the peace that He brought not just to mankind, but that He brought to us when He made that call to whosoever might believe can have eternal life. This is what people need to see. Even in the midst of the unfairness of our lives and our struggles. Even in the midst of persecution, accusation, and pain in our lives. Whether it's Satan or people, they need to see that we still believe. And that we have peace. Despite the troubling circumstances in our lives. You see, to us today, these words that we have read in 1 Peter have great meaning. But I need to tell you that this meaning was not as great, is not as great to us as it was to the people who first receive it. We still get a lot out of it today. God's Word has much power. But these people who first received it needed to hear these words greatly. These Christians that first receive it were in the face of great persecution in Rome. At the time of Peter's writing this letter to them, the Christians were greatly tortured because of their belief in Christ in many ways, but they were mostly tortured in two main ways. The first was being burnt alive. You ever heard of Nero, the burning of Rome? It started with Christians. Burnt them alive. And the other way that they sought to persecute Christians was to kill and slaughter lambs and place their bloody skins and attaching them. Not just laying them on the Christians, but physically attaching them, like sewing pieces of cloth together to the Christians, placing them in an arena where there were hungry lions who the, scripture, that the, uh, the witness of, of the outside literature that we have around the Bible say that there were times where they were kept these lions from eating for a week. And they smelt that blood and they saw that animal skin upon those Christians. And they were literally devoured. Lion's not just going to start with the part that, that kills you immediately. They're going to start with the part they can get to first. You see how this text had great meaning to the people in the first century church. See, Peter has this kind of persecution that was taking place in these arenas in his mind when he spoke later in this letter in chapter 5 and verse 8 saying, being alert and stay of sober mind. 
your enemy, the devil. And he names our adversary specifically. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. These people who were still alive reading this had seen their friends devoured. They knew what was happening in the church. They knew what was happening for the cause of Christ. And Peter is encouraging, submit to these authorities. Submit, even under the midst of this wrong and unfairness. Submit for God's sake. For the sake of Jesus Christ. Don't give up. Don't give in. You see, church, we should fear the power Satan can have over us as he seeks to bend our fleshly desires to cause us to give in. There will be times that, that we will fear people who cause us pain. But yet, even more than them, we should fear God. For we should not be afraid of those who kill the body as Jesus says in Matthew 10.28, we should not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. With Jesus' words in mind, I believe and I, I feel as if this was part of the meaning behind Peter's words in verses 13 and 17 when he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the others as he goes on and lists to say. But then verse 17, he says, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God. Fear God and honor the emperor. When we see this word fear, most of the time it means have a healthy respect and love for God. But we should not get so caught up in that meaning that we do forget that we should fear God. Because He holds the keys to both life and death. As much as He offers life to those who accept it, He will not hesitate for a minute if they do not to send them to their just reward that they chose for themselves. We should not just fear these evil things of the world and fear people, but we should remember God. And remember that in this life, we will have trouble, but it's only temporary. We want to submit to God and encourage other people to do the same thing, that it will not last eternally. Because hell is a real place. I don't know if you know this or not. A lot of people like to say that hell is not a real place. You'll hear some people, they call themselves annihilationists. That they believe that hell is just being separated from everybody forever. That at the end of time, when God judges everyone, He'll just zap us and then we're gone. And the people will live in heaven that believed in God and the others will be like they never existed. No, there are too many scriptures that point to the fact that hell is a real place and people will suffer, as Jesus said, where there is weeping and there is gnashing of teeth. I'm not trying to bring us down. I'm just telling us, church, that there is a real reality that this is a real place and that we should fear God in a healthy respect and love for Him, but also, also be afraid that, that we might spend eternity apart from all of these wonderful blessings, and all because of the choices that we've made. We're going to be tempted so many times to give up on God, to stop fearing Him, to stop loving Him, and to stop respecting Him, because so many things in this life are unfair, let's be honest. 
So many things in this life are unfair. And it would take us too long to recount all these things in our lives that are unfair. If I went one by one, we'd be here for probably months trying to recount all the things that we feel in our lives are unfair. And even though we can agree that sometimes life just is not fair, I think that we could agree more that one of the most unfair things that anybody in life has ever faced, and as Peter talks about in this passage, is the idea of something that didn't just happen in the past, but it is happening now in the sex industry of slavery. It's not just something that happened in the past and it was wrong then, but it's happening now to people whether we realize it or not. There is a huge sex slave market. This is a despicable thing that has been done down through history. I don't have to explain to you how unfair it is, but what I do need to say to you that is even in these things, we should still seek to glorify God. Even in the most terrible of circumstances, as he starts here in this passage talking about slavery and the things that are unjust and unfair that he's talking about, he still tells us that even in these things that are unfair in the world, it's still nothing compared to how we should be living in Christ. We should not let our unfair circumstances to lead and direct our eternity and our perspective of it, that we should submit even to the worst of unjust authorities. He told this early church in verse 20 uh, these things, but how is it to your credit that if you receive a beating for doing wrong and enduring it, how is it to your credit for receiving a beating, doing wrong and enduring it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, then this is commendable before God. And, and this is why even this sort of suffering and slavery, as he talks about, is commendable before God. And it all goes back to verse 21 and 22, which begins into the end of a chapter, a wonderful presentation of the gospel. He says, even to this kind of unjust suffering, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you. Even in the midst of the most unjust suffering you can think about, not just in your life, but in the lives of others who have ever lived. Even in the midst of all this suffering, you were still called to Christ because He suffered for you. Leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. That He committed no sin and no deceit was found in His mouth. I can honestly say when unjust things have happened to me and unfair things have happened to me, I have not always acted holy. I have not always acted as God would have me to act. I have not always said and thought the right and proper things in the midst of what I thought was unjust and unfair, and I thought it was fair for me to do that. But looking at these passages, even the most unjust and unfair things in our life gives us no excuse to stop bearing a witness for Jesus Christ. As hard as it is, we will never suffer anything greater than the God of glory who came down to this earth to suffer in our place. Listen again to verses 23 and 24 that we have read uh, this morning. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you have been healed. 
For we were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Again, church, Jesus did not deserve this unfair treatment, for he was God in the flesh. He was holy, living in an unjust world. He should have been exonerated and he was crucified. But yet, even through all this, he did this so that we might have peace from the war against our souls, that we might be able to experience the peace that He fought for until the day that we stand before Him face to face. Sometimes life just isn't fair. But what is fair in life, the one thing that will always remain fair, is the death that we deserve for our sins. Church, that is fair. The death that we deserve for our sins, that is fair. But Jesus came and He gave His life that we might receive grace and mercy from even what was fair to us. Did you get that? That it is fair that we deserve death for our sins. For the wages of sin is death. That is a fact. That is absolute truth. But Jesus came so that we might have grace and mercy from even what was fair in God's eyes. In the light of that unfairness to Christ, I really think it should change how we see our life and our circumstances. I really do. And it's an encouragement to me too. In the light of the unfairness that happened and the unjustness of people to Christ and how He submitted Himself to the just God, this should change how we see our life and our circumstances. It did for Fanny Crosby. She could have spent her life being bitter and angry for never being able to see, but instead she became one of the most prolific hymn writers of all times with more than 8,000 hymns to her credit. One of the most notable is that of the song Blessed Assurance with a verse that reads like this, Perfect Submission perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Did you get that? Visions of rapture. Blind. She can see Jesus. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. These echoes of mercy and whispers of love come from the cross an imperfect submission of Jesus Christ and her giving her life despite her unfair circumstances, she could see Jesus. In the midst of our unfair circumstances that are maybe going on right now, the things that we feel are unjust and unfair, the things that hurt us and cause us pain, can you see Jesus through them? Because if we can't, we should. Because even in the midst of the greatest suffering that any man has ever endured, Jesus stayed on that cross because He saw you. And He saw you. And He saw me. That was unfair. That was unjust. It was a cruel death. Agonizing. He endured it longer because the prophet said that his bones couldn't be broken. When they broke the kneecaps of those who were on the cross, it 
kept their respiratory system inhibited so they couldn't stand up, push themselves up to take in a breath. Jesus had his bones not broken and endured that pain longer than anyone who's ever been crucified because he could breathe as he bled to death and was tortured to death. Church, that was unfair. That was unjust. It puts us in perspective, doesn't it? It does me. Puts anything I'll ever face in perspective, and prayerfully we can, we can remember it. Because like Fanny Crosby, we need to be able to see hope, like Jesus even more, hope beyond our unfair circumstances. Hope is something that keeps us looking forward. Jesus had hope one day that we would be with him. And our hope is one day that we will be with him. That's the hope beyond anything we'll ever face in this life and that we'll ever endure. You see, church, we must submit to Him. But however, submitting to Jesus, that is going to mean that there will be times of pain. But it also means there will be times of refreshing when He offers peace to our souls in the midst of our tribulation. And church, as we seek to take refuge and peace in Christ, even in the midst of these trials and pains, I promise that it's not only going to be good for us, it's not only going to be good for the world, but it's going to be good for the Lord. Because He was first good to us. If we do it for no one else, we should do it for Him. Would you pray with me? I thank you, Lord, for this time and the attention of everyone as we've looked at this passage. Lord, I just pray that um, even as we are not experiencing in this room, praise your name, the persecution that the early church was facing and the suffering they faced, that there are still things that the devil uses to pull us from you and they are great he has much power and he knows how it is that he can he can seek to drive a wedge between us that causes a great chasm in our soul but lord i'll pray that that even if there's a chasm there even if there are things that we have just resulted in our hearts that are unfair and that we cannot get past that we don't understand why you've allowed these things to happen to us and come into our lives that you would fill those things even with your presence and your peace. That we might see Jesus. That we might have hope in him despite this world. You have given us this life to enjoy. And we pray that in the abundance of life that you offer that we will. But in the moments where it's going to be hard and there will be troubles and tribulations as your son told us there would be. Help us to take heart that we have overcome these things, even that we are going through because your son overcame as long as we cling to him. Lord, this is my prayer for me, and I, I pray that somebody else will pray this prayer. Help me to cling to Jesus. Help us to cling to Jesus, to not let go. I pray that you'll speak to us all in a unique way. Give us hope beyond the unfair things of this world. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I want to offer an invitation to you um, that's very simple. If you have any need that is standing in the way between you experiencing the fullness of God in your life, that you would lay it down this morning. That you would come to this altar and you would give it to, to the Lord. If there is something that's troubling your heart and troubling your mind, give it up. Lay it at the feet of Jesus. Let him cover it because that blood that was shed for us, that was unjustly taken from him, has the power to cover these things that are troubling us and will always have the power to cover these things. If there is something that you need to lay down, lay it down. If that thing you need to lay down is your life, lay it down today and begin asking God to move and minister in your soul and to lead him in the way, lead you in the way of his salvation. Begin today searching and seeking the Lord and asking him to become the Lord and master of your life and follow him as he leads you through to his salvation. Do that today if Jesus is not in your life. And if there's just someone in your life that you know needs prayer and is struggling, they think the world and God is against them. Lay them down. That God may begin to soften their heart. As we stand together and we sing. Just.